So I made some fundamental decisions right then and there that I was never again going to be in a place where I didn't have sovereignty or control, if you will, over where my financial freedom was and where my revenue came from. It's no secret that real estate is one of the best investment vehicles out there. But how can we determine which strategies will best align with our financial ambitions? Well, you come to the right spot. Whether you're an active real estate entrepreneur, a passive investor, or looking to get into real estate investing, our goal is to provide investors with insights and strategies for building our portfolios all while protecting our capital. I'm Daniel Nichols, and this is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Daniel Nichols, accompanied by our guest for the week, David McElwain. And today we are the two smart assets. For those not familiar with David, he is a seasoned entrepreneur, successful executive, and real estate professional with over 20 years of experience, including owning multifamily units, commercial retail, retail development, asset management, single family, vacation rental properties, second homes, and custom builds. David personally wore golden handcuffs for almost 14 years, successfully gaining sovereignty over his career and net worth along the way. And in 2019, he founded Mac Assets with a portfolio currently including properties in the Southeast and Mountain West. David, sir, it's great to see you. Welcome to the show. Man, that's a heck of an intro. Thanks, Danny. Glad <laughs> yeah. to be here. Yeah, glad to have you on, man. I know uh, we connected a few weeks ago, so I've been looking forward to this conversation. Before we dive into the nitty gritty, tell us more about your background, your story, and what your current focus is. Well, my background and stories, it comes from sales. I, we were talking off air before we started and we're both kind of big eight, big 12 guys. And <laughs> I graduated from a big eight university, which is now a big 12 university, Kansas. Go Jayhawks. Go. Went to school and went to, went to work in corporate America in Chicago. Uh, then came out to Colorado. Love it. Live in Denver, but lived in, living here for 30 plus years. Got into sales, sold advertising. I quickly discovered that it was a very lucrative proposition and I made a great deal of money and I could not quit. Mm. I discovered the meaning of the of the word golden handcuffs. I was making more money than I could comprehend. I didn't know what to do with it. And I knew I was miserable in parts of my life. And yet I refused to quit because I couldn't imagine not making the money. I started defining myself by my W-2 mm. and it was a horrific place to be. Um, Fast forward 17 years, I've been an executive in this company for a long time. I'm responsible for one in three dollars of this organization's revenue, and I get laid off because of a merger. I, it was the ninth consecutive quarter I had made budget or quota the day before the quarter starts. Wow. I literally made my Q2 budget the day before Q2 started, and I got laid off the last day of Q1. Wow. Fast forward 18 months. I'm a CRO for a tech startup. I close some Series B funding. I come in to hire a staff of 35 to put the hockey stick in place. And we're <laughs> going to ramp this thing to the moon and back, baby. And the CEO says, we paid off all our debt. What debt, CEO? We have debt? I'm the CRO, and I don't know about the debt. So it tells you right there that there might have been some communication failures mm. in that organization. Mm. A week later, I come in trying to figure out how I'm going to make the hockey stick with no sales force hired, and I get laid off. So in 18 months, I lost two jobs at the pinnacle of my career and skill set based on things that were outside of my control and based on things that had nothing to do with performance, a merger and debt. I didn't control either of those. I was doing my job. I was performing. I was performing really well. 
Right. And I'm on the beach. I sat back. That's a phrase we use in the advertising world. People look okay. at me funny. What do you mean you're on the beach? Literally, we're <laughs> on the beach drinking cocktails because we know it's not a matter of if we're going to get fired. It's mm. when we're going to get sure. fired. Right. And I realized I'd seen this movie before. My dad was in the uh, in Oklahoma in the 1980s. The SNL crisis destroyed the oil and gas energy system. And every man at church lost his job. My dad ended up having to move, go back on active duty with the Air National Guard to support his family when I was in high school. He ended up uh, looking for a job and having to relocate to find a job. And so mm -hmm. I'd seen this movie before and I said, no, 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 I've had golden handcuffs. I don't want them. I don't want them again to destroy and control my career and my life. So I made some fundamental decisions right then and there that I was never again going to be in a place where I didn't have sovereignty or control, if you will, over where my financial freedom was and where my revenue came from. From there, I got into real estate. Mm -hmm. I became a broker. I was going to flip houses. I looked up and looked around and decided that flipping houses was a fool's errand. Let me say it again. Flipping houses, <laughs> I decided, was a fool's errand in 2014 in Colorado. Why? <laughs> because I was going to put down a $300,000 loan to buy a $300,000 house. Mm -hmm. I was going to have to put down my own capital, and I was going to make fifty grand. And I decided that that 12% return on my risky, on my invested risky capital wasn't sufficient to justify the risk. Mm. And I became a house seller. So I became an, a realtor. Gotcha. I realized quickly that it wasn't my highest and best calling to be a realtor, but I went okay. through. I got a divorce in the middle of all those layoffs and I could no longer fly on an airplane. I used to, my favorite seat was seat 1D. First row, right-hand aisle, because I crossed my legs to the left. So I wanted uh, my big size 14 flippers hanging out in the aisle. <laughs> and I'm left-handed, so I wanted to be able to write and not have my wing hit anybody. Perfect. Yeah, but I couldn't do that as a single dad, parenting my kids 50% of the day, 50% mm -hmm. of the week. I mean, sure. I could, but I couldn't live on an airplane like I had. So one day I'm in a uh, I-Corps meeting, which stands for Internet Investing Community of the Rockies, and it's a trade trade organization for small retail investors okay. or, or doers in the house flipping segments. And I heard a guy talking about multifamily, and it hit me like a lightning bolt. Literally, my bush started burning like Moses did, and I, I, my my biblical history is not so good, but wherever <laughs> Mount Sinai. It's not Mount Sinai. Oh, goodness. What is that? Anyway, you get the idea. Sure. The bush is on fire. I'm like, holy cow, this hits me between the eyes. He says, if I can buy one apartment, why wouldn't I buy a hundred? Hmm. Now, when I was selling advertising and I got, first got a taste of those golden handcuffs, I was selling customized advertising universes. That's a funky way of saying I was selling either one to 125 markets based on what the advertiser needed. And I would customize it and I would create efficiency and scale. And the way I made so much money was that I had national clients based in my territory that bought their entire footprint. Mm -hmm. And it was easier for me to sell them their entire footprint than it was to sell them one, two, or three cities. Sure. And there was always an extra comma in the commission check. Literally. I mean, that was a difference. Wow. The work was the same. The scale was exponential. So when this guy says, 
hey, why buy one when you can buy 100? The bush went on fire. I changed, I blinked my eyes and I knew right then and there what I was doing. Wow. That's it? Yeah, that was it. Done. Amazing. I recognized the skill sets that I had were the exact same to do this. And I'd gone through a little bit of Moses in the desert looking for what my career was going to be. I'd gone through a whole lot of things. I own a brokerage. I got a residential brokerage license so I can do my own brokerage. I went out and I became an assisted living administrator so I could actually run and operate assisted living facilities in the state of Colorado, which I uh, found to be disturbingly easy and shame on uh, the state governments for making this so easy to own and operate something where someone's life is in your hands. Mm. And my mom is in assisted living right now. And I can tell you that it's disturbing how little oversight is in place, but we digress. Sure. So I'd gone through this uh, evolution. And when I discovered multifamily, I just jumped in feet first because I knew I was home and I've been home ever since. Wow. And it's amazing you were able to find something that your your skills correlated so well with, right? And you know it might have taken mm-hmm. some time for you to find that position, but now that you found it, you've really taken that to the next level. Uh, and I definitely want to talk about you know what you've done since then and Mac assets and all that. But before we dive into that, I want to back up and talk about how you were able to gain freedom and you know release yourself from these golden handcuffs, right? Talk to us about how you were able to to achieve that and kind of what it took to get that done. Thank you so much for that question. But let me start with the air mistakes I made. Let's hear it. The number one mistake of having golden handcuffs is that we live our lifestyle commiserate with our income. And I'm launching a, a podcast in the near term called Break Your Golden Handcuffs. And what we're going to talk about is how to make golden handcuffs a tool for everybody. And the way you make golden handcuffs a tool is you create a couple, you create a plan. And I didn't create a plan in the beginning. The fortunate thing was that I had a long ramp of these handcuffs. I had like 14 years of these things. Okay. And so I had time to recover from my screw-ups. Sure. And one of the things that you do with golden handcuffs to make sure that you survive and you flourish and you and you get control is that you no longer make them handcuffs, you make them bracelets and you turn them into tools. And what do I mean by that? Well, I had my children in 2003 and 2004, and in 2003, there was this fledgling thing called the 529 plan, Okay, and it was able to allow somebody to reduce taxes dollar for dollar if you bought the 529 plan in your state, and you could, t- you could reduce active income dollar for dollar with a 529 contribution. Wow. Okay. And- I'm pretty sure that's still in place today, although I haven't made a 529 plan contribution since 2004. And here's why. I got one commission check in 2003 within a couple of months of my daughter being born. I put the maximum allowable deposit I could for a five-year catch-up in the year she was born within a couple of months. She's going to school free. Wow. I never once put another dollar into her 529 plan. Incredible. Yeah. She's going to Rutgers as a sophomore. Uh, No, by the way, if you're going out of state to Rutgers and you're from a a big 12 school, there's no scholarships for academia or need or anything else. So I'm paying full boat and that's okay because it's there. Right. My son was born in 2004. I rinsed and repeated. 
he's going to school in Scotland at St. Andrew University of St. Andrews in Scotland. Am I paying for that? I'm paying for airplane tickets to okay. and from St. Andrews. Sure. Actually to and from Edinburgh, but you know, it's it's an hour train from Edinburgh to St. Andrews. And why am I I was able to give my kids a piece of freedom from my golden handcuffs that changed my life. Absolutely. And what I did is I looked at the horizon. And what I want my investors and your investors to do is to not focus on the BMW or I, one of the, the cars du jour is the Range Rover. Why are you buying a seventy dollars or $90,000 car that doesn't do anything but depreciate in value and get you the same as a forerunner that's $38,000? Yep. Yep. And that, you know, that's a great point. I kind of want to dive into that as well, because I see this a lot, you know, I work in the oil and gas industry and, you know, when times are good, times are good. Right. And you could tell, cause that's how people spend their earnings, right? They spend mm -hmm. it like times are good. So talk a little bit more about that. In your experience, you've seen a lot of high, uh, high earning individuals. What are some more common mistakes you see them making with their earnings that could really impede their progress financially? Man, I love going here. I've worked for two self-made billionaires on a first name basis with these guys. And one of them passed away recently, and he used to be uh, uh, courtside at every Lakers game. And he had the money to buy courtside Lakers tickets, and he was also a UCLA tr Board of Trustees guy. And, and so I saw him go all in on things that he was passionate about. Okay. And one of the things he said, and I'll never forget this. This was in a training meeting back in like mid-2000s. You got to love it. Whatever you do, you got to love it. And if you don't love it, you don't have passion for it, don't do it. And so part of my wandering in the desert, what I talked about earlier in the show was I didn't love it all, but this I love and I can see that. So from a consumption point of view, you got to love it. And then you got to buy it again and again and again. Quick story, 2008, I had a mountain house up in Lake Dillon, two and a half thousand foot, beautiful, you know, single family home in Summit County that is very rare. Right. And the market was in the tank. I okay. literally sold all of my stocks the last day of the bear of the bear market wow. in 2008. Wow. At the time, I was building a house, a custom home in the most exclusive zip code in Colorado and in, in this time zone and one of the most exclusive in the Western US. I owned a mountain house. I owned a house on the in the lake in Michigan, a block off of Lake Michigan, and I owned my primary residence. I owned four houses, and I was uh, running a territory that had General Motors as one of its um, biggest customers. Uh, my territory was Detroit to the Pacific, excluding California, and GM went bankrupt. Now, wow. people don't realize this, but the number one advertiser in the radio segments is auto. Hmm. And the number one advertising spender was General Motors. Sure. So you get the first one going belly up and everybody goes belly up thereafter. Falling knife. Same thing happens in any industry. You got the behemoths that go belly up. So one of the mistakes I saw was that people didn't have a cushion. They didn't have right. a backup. You know, when you hear all these gurus talking about having a three-month cushion or a two-year cushion, you got to find your number, whatever your number is. At the time, my number was about six months of operating income okay. as a cushion in cash. And that allowed me to, to weather this storm. But 
the mountain house, I was talking to my broker and he's like, you got to sell it. And I said, no, I don't want to sell it. He's like, every day you don't sell it, you're rebuying it. And I've thought about that conversation for the last 15 years. Okay. Every day you own something in your possession that you've paid for, if you keep it, you're rebuying it. Yeah. Apartments, houses. As a residential realtor, I'll see people who are attached to their homes. I'll be like, why? There's emotional side to that. And that's what my wife reminds me of all the time. There's this emotional side, David. You got to do it. Yeah, there is. The emotional side is I don't have golden handcuffs anymore. <laughs> the emotional it. side is I don't want to rebuy this. So you yeah. see in Denver, where, where we both happen to live in the metro, there's a lot of people that are not selling their homes because they are choosing to remodel it. So they're rebuying their house mm. when they remodel it. And if you think about it like that, that gives you more power. Absolutely. And it can be a problem you know, to rebuying your possessions. Right. Absolutely. And, and my screen, my screen throws for a second there. So I apologize. But no when you, when you um, think about it in terms of, am I going to rebuy this? What do you do? I have uh, two kids and two stepchildren. And so there's six people in our household and we have seven cars, but my son goes to school in Europe. So I decided I wasn't going to rebuy his car. Hey, there you go. And I sold it yesterday. <laughs> nice. Good job. I love and it. And now I have six people and six cars because I've got two for myself because he's out of the country half the three, two thirds of the year. Sure. But I decided I didn't need to keep one. I didn't rebuy it. And I took that, tw I took that and paid off 20% of the equity of another car. So thinking about your money in terms of, am I rebuying it is crucial. Same with your multifamily portfolio, your rental portfolio. I sold a rental a couple of years ago in, in D Denver that I felt like had materialized its maximum growth. And I'd converted that into something else because I decided that it wasn't going to grow substantially greater than it had already grown on my return of investment. And sure. I decided I didn't want to rebuy it again. And that's tremendous freedom. Yeah, I think that's one of those those frameworks that most people don't put in put, you know, they don't see it that way, right? And as soon as you're able to to turn it and put it into that perspective, it's going to change your whole view, right? Depending on yeah. everything, right? And yeah. so I think I think you bringing that up and sharing that I think is is really going to enlighten a lot of listeners. I know for me it's a good reminder as well. It's like, hey, listen, you know, you need really need to be paying attention to this, to this and asking yourself this question in certain situations. So uh, I, I actually really like that. And it's a great framework to really- And it works on any kind of possession. Exactly. Am I going to buy a Rolex and then rebuy that Rolex every day? I'm, I'm, I'm watchless. <laughs> Why am I watchless? I've got a couple of gold watches in my, in my house that I used sure. to wear a long time ago. I got an iPhone. Yep. Can't see it with the screen, yep. but yeah. It's a well, it's a clock. I don't need it. It's all you need. I'm not going to rebuy a watch. <laughs> I love it. It's a great framework to, to just to be in at all times, right? If you can if you can stay in that, I think it's absolutely perfect. And so, you know, before we got into this conversation about, you know, what are some common mistakes people are making and, you know, this new framework that we're going to be able to to really think through, we were talking about tools and how, you know, we can use uh, maybe higher earning professionals can use to kind of get out of the handcuffs really and like propel themselves forward financially. And you mentioned, you know, you mentioned one tool earlier. Are there any more tools that you'd like to bring up oh, before yeah. we get out of here? Uh, okay. So uh, a couple of things you can do. You can start a business. 
Okay. You can create a, a, a solo 401k and invest in through that. Mm. You can take anytime that you're a high performing sales executive and you leave one job, you're also leaving that qualified retirement plan, commonly referred to as a 401k, sitting there. And those dollars, you got to do something with. You can either leave it there, you can put it into an IRA, or you can put it in a self directed IRA. Great control over your career when you take it outside the, the framework of just what the stock option offers you. Mm -hmm. We can go into that in long detail. But the, another one is that if you just build, a, if you create a side hustle as a passive investor, you create an LLC as a passive investor. That allows you to have some tax strategies involved. And one of the biggest things I realized, and the tax strategies constantly change. So I'm not going to give you tax advice because I am not a tax professional. I am not an attorney. I am not a tax professional and I'm giving nobody any kind of <laughs> advice. Now that I've done that, everybody don't call me complaining that I told them this. Sure. The reality, and as one of my friends says, I used to wear a members only jacket with the collar turned up. So, you know, <laughs> at some point in time, I've made a mistake. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. Uh, but the strategy is not tax avoidance, it's tax deference. Sure. And the more you get to keep, the better off you are. So some of the stuff is I've got an adjusted gross income that I can reduce by taking tax taking advantage of the tax laws. You know, 529 contributions, self-directed IRA contributions. Uh, those are actually not depends on whether you do a Roth or post-tax sure. or pre-tax, all that structure. As a highly compensated employee in HCE, you get capped on the maximum amount you can contrib contribute to your 401k. Mm -hmm. But did people realize that you can contribute over your ma over your max to IRAs? You just can't take a deduction for it. Okay. It's a great tip. One of the small things. I, I went to school with my accountant figuratively. I would go to their meetings and I would pay the $300 an hour to grill them on what I could do. And if you're not doing that, shame when you do it. Definitely worth the uh, money. Yeah, totally. I got into real estate as a tax structure. Mm -hmm. I'd, gotten, I'd gotten divorced. My wife, my first wife didn't want any part of being a slumlord or a landlord. It didn't want the three T's, tenants, toilets, termites. Sure. You know, it, I can go on and on. And I wanted them and I didn't listen to myself. I followed my former wife's objections more than my desires. And part of the golden handcuffs is to clear out what your desires are. Get clear on them. I mean, crystal clear on what your desires are. And from there, you get the decision-making clarity to take action. And I can tell you a thousand ways I've made a mistake. So some of the, those are some of the plans. Some of the other plans are, you know, if you don't have time and you love your job or you're making huge money in your job and you don't love it, you go buy a side business that you don't run. Tax structure, bam, freedom. You know, you come invest with me or with you and, and you get some tax benefits, you get some passive income. And really, if you think about real estate, a lot of folks think you're buying for cash flow. No, you're investing for multi equity multiple. Absolutely. As a golden handcuffs guy, you can't break your golden handcuffs unless you got millions right. in the bank. 
invested. So if your average cash on cash is 10% and you make 250 a year, you got to have two and a half million dollars every time paying you 10 points to break even. So mm -hmm. you really need $5 million to amortize it out to 250 and then you don't have your bonus upright. So you're not going to replace your income investing. That's not our right. job. Right. You give me a hundred thousand dollars in a decade and I'll give you a million bucks. So the question is, do you want the Range Rover or do you want the million bucks in a decade? Absolutely. I mean, you know, the it... key, to, yeah, it's, 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 it's deferred, it's deferred enjoyment, right? Deferred, Absolutely. deferred gratitude. Is that the word for it? Sounds Something good. like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, my, my, and you know, the thing is really, is, you know, we're talking about these golden handcuffs. You're really in a position to, to, you know, if you don't want to, you know, find yourself another job or whatever, like you're saying, you really need to be checking out, uh, you know, passive investing, real estate syndication, stuff like that, because there's a lot of benefits to it, especially if you're not looking to, like you said, be a property manager or take on any of that stuff. That's what really attracted it to me. You know, I was making, making good money, but I wasn't able to deploy it fast enough in certain deals. And then I found passive investing and it was a complete game changer for me, for me personally. And it has been ever since. So I think if, if you're in a position, you have golden handcuffs, this is something you need to be looking at Mac assets, everything David's doing, everything we're doing, stuff like that. It's all good. Yeah. And just to reiterate, I used to have a check where I, Every month I had, I'd call my broker and say, what stocks are you buying this month? And so the corresponding decade, I made 4%. Right. Bad mistake. Yeah. I could right. now call my broker and say, you got $10,000, go, go dollar cost average this. And I'm putting 50 grand in alternative investments. It's fantastic. Yep. Absolutely. Totally different game. Absolutely. David, man, seriously, I feel like we could probably sit here and just go on and on about this, man, because I got a ton of questions and we could just, you know, dive deep into this. We might probably have to get you back on the show to talk more about it. But, uh, you know, run low on time. I want to be respectful of your time. Before we get out of here, though, tell the listeners how they can find out more about you, anything you have going on, if you have any resources for them, any of that stuff. Well, I appreciate that, Danny. Yeah, I've got a couple of resources. One of them is an ebook I wrote called How Ugly Apartments Deliver Beautiful Returns. I talk about forced appreciation. And what uh, commercial real estate really does that most people don't understand is why it's so valuable. I've also got a due diligence checklist on how Mac Assets goes through our selection criteria for buying uh, acquisitions. And uh, you can reach me at Mac Assets, M-A-C-A-S-S-E-T-S dot com. Awesome. We're going to make sure to put all this stuff in the show notes. Everybody's listening right now. Go check, go check out David's resources. They're going to be fantastic. You're going to learn a lot from them. Highly recommend anything he's putting out. David, man, this has been a great conversation. We're going to have to get you back on, but uh, appreciate you taking, appreciate you taking the time to speak to me today. Absolutely. Thank you. Hey, real quick before we get out of here, do me a huge favor and leave a rating and review for the podcast. We're always looking to bring you guys the best insights and strategies for building our real estate portfolios and your ratings and reviews really help with getting top guest speakers that are the best in the real estate investing business. I promise this will only take you a few seconds and I really appreciate it. Thanks for being awesome, guys. Cheers.